Greetings, I'm Keith Klein, the host of the Venture Fizz podcast, where I interview the most fascinating people in the tech scene. For the 91st episode of our podcast, I interviewed Debbie Kleiman, Executive Director at Babson College's Arthur M. Blank Center for Entrepreneurship. When you think of places that encourage and foster entrepreneurship, few places top Babson College. In fact, Babson has been ranked the number one school for entrepreneurship by U.S. News and World Report for more than two decades. Lots of very successful entrepreneurs have graduated from both Babson's undergraduate and MBA programs. For example, the name behind Babson's Center for Entrepreneurship, that being Arthur M. Blank, is the co-founder of The Home Depot and the owner of the Atlanta Falcons. Or Jamie Siminoff, the founder of Ring, which was acquired by Amazon for $1 billion last year. The list is quite extensive. In this episode of our podcast, we cover lots of great topics, like Debbie's childhood dream of becoming a late-night TV talk show host, a journey through her career, including her experience in marketing roles in the CPG industry and executive positions at C-Space and MyTex, what brought Debbie to Babson, plus all the details about her role there, a deep dive into the entrepreneurial environment and programs that Babson offers its students, advice on what people should be thinking about when starting a business, advice on crafting a pitch, plus a lot more. Okay, quick side note. Did you know that our job board has over 4,000 positions listed with the hottest companies across the Boston tech scene? Well, there are jobs across all levels of experience and across all functional areas like engineering, product management, marketing, sales, and more. Don't put your career on hold. Go to venturefizz.com backslash jobs to start searching. All right, without further ado, here's my interview with Debbie. Debbie, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Well, I have a question for you. So in my research of just kind of looking at your background, I stumbled across this fun little tidbit and it said, uh, you know, somewhere you told someone that as a child, you actually wanted to be a late night talk show host. Like that was kind of your, your goal. So is, is that a true statement? <laughs> yeah, it actually is. I, I always wanted to be a late night TV talk show host when I grew up. Um, I love hearing people's stories. I love, I'm really curious about people. And I thought that that would be such a great job to actually get to interview people um, and learn about why they do what they do and where they've come from. And, and so I thought that was the best way to, to take hold of that activity. So who are your role models? Like, who did you like, you know, who'd you study for that type of? Well, I always watched David Letterman growing up, love yeah. Letterman. Um, I even, I watched Johnny Carson when I was really young um, mm -hmm. and, and loved Johnny Carson. Um, but even like, you know, Oprah was always a big one for me too. I, I just loved how she got people to really divulge interesting things about them and, mm -hmm. and um, you know, made it very emotional. So that's the kind of show I wanted to have, but you know, that didn't happen, but I still think that I do somewhat a little bit of that in my, in my job anyway. So. Very interesting. I was actually checking out a, a podcast from uh, ABC News and uh, a recent interview was with Ricky Lake. So it kind of brought yeah. me back to remembering her talk show. Host. Yeah, I totally remember Ricky Lake. Yep. Yeah. So. That's funny. All right. So where, where did you grow up? Like, what were you like as a kid? Other than oh, wanting so to be a I actually grew up um, in the suburbs of Boston. I was born in Wellesley and then I moved to Dover um, when I was, I think it was sixth grade. And um, went to Dover Sherburne for high school. So, you know, definitely had the suburban Boston experience. You know, Dover's pretty far out there. There's not a lot going on on the weekends. We had a lot to make our own fun. Um, 
but I was, um, I was very similar to who I am now. I haven't changed all that much, actually. I was always the one that was like bringing people together to do fun things and trying to connect people and trying to help people. Um, I was very social, as you could probably imagine. Um, and, um, but I, I did very well in school um, and um, I had a lot of extracurricular activities that I was a leader in. So I always, I guess I always like to have a leadership role um, in the things that I've been doing. And so I guess the two common themes that have kind of run through my life have been, you know, leading interesting things and getting to um, bring people together and drive community. Those are, those are things that are really important to me. Well, then you went off to uh, Cornell and studied there. And, and what, what did you do after, after graduating from there? Well, I went to Cornell. Um, they have a program there called the Industrial and Labor Relations School. And so um, I had a degree in industrial and labor relations coming out of Cornell um, with a major in organizational behavior. And so actually, I went to work for the federal government out of college. I went to work for the U.S. Department of Labor. Um, and I worked for Robert Reich, who at the time was the Secretary of Labor. And if you know anything about him, he is an incredibly fascinating person. Um, and I, it was, you know, during the first Clinton administration, and it was an incredible time to be in D.C., and it was an incredible time to be a young person in government because there were all kinds of opportunities being afforded to me that I probably wouldn't have gotten doing this kind of work anywhere else. And so I was in these very high level policy meetings. I was in helping to create some really important initiatives for the labor department around um, labor management cooperation and sort of developing best practices for the workplace of the future. Um, so it was always around this idea of like building culture and interesting companies um, that were going to be, you know, what the future of work was all about. So even from that early stage, I had this really strong interest in culture and building companies. So um, I guess you could say that's where that started. But I had such a great time um, in that role because I was able to meet incredibly brilliant people and, and do some really impactful work. Right. And why did you decide to go back to, to school? You went to B-School at HBS. Yeah, I did. I, I left the federal government. Um, I really felt like I wanted to create change in the world and I wanted to do something with impact. And I felt that I couldn't do that from where I was in the labor department just because of the pace of government. It was just a little slow for me. Um, and I had all kinds of big plans for, you know, making things happen. So I thought going back to business school would help, you know, bring me that level of credibility so that I could go into a corporation. Um, or start a company and have that, you know, that basis, base of knowledge that I would really need to do that. So I went back to HBS, um, which was also an amazing experience. I am still really close to a lot of my friends from HBS who are still here in the Boston area. There's an incredible network here in the Boston area um, for HBS. So that ended up being not only a great place to learn, but a, a great place to grow a, a huge network. And then I also met my husband there. So that was also a good reason to go. <laughs> now, and then after uh, business school, you, you ended up in brand management. And I was curious because you worked at some amazing companies. Yeah. What, what were some of the, the brands that you were managing? Yeah. So I worked for Coca-Cola and Procter & Gamble and Welch's um, during my brand tenure. And I actually loved um, 
my experiences in those companies. But the interesting thing was, is that every role I had in those big companies were innovation related. Mm. So I was always in new products. I was always out in the market looking for consumer insights about problems that needed to be fixed and then trying to take those insights back into the company and say, you know, how could we solve this problem? How could we develop something really relevant to our customer? Um, so again, it, it, it sort of sticks with this whole theme of wanting to solve problems, wanting to build something that was, would make people's lives better, even if it was in the juice category or in the toothbrush category, um, which were the categories that I, I was in, um, to really, you know, find ways to make people's lives better. Um, and then also, I love working in innovation. It's, it's exciting and it's fun. What was your favorite product that you worked on? Um, I'd have to say I worked on the Pulsar toothbrush <laughs> when I was at Procter and Gamble. Um, and Pulsar is still out there. It's still, uh, it's still great. It was a real innovation in the, uh, toothbrush category at the time. Um, so that was a lot of fun. And then I, I launched a, a kid's juice beverage, um, when I was at Coca-Cola that was very successful for a time. Um, and that was fun because it, it wasn't about the juice that was innovative. It was the packaging that was innovative. So there were some design and engineering aspects to that, that I thought were really, really cool. Very cool. And then from there, you went on to a great company in the Boston tech scene, uh, Communispace now known as C-Space. So what brought you there? What was your role? Well, I met Diane Hessen at a HBS alumni event. And, you know, if you know Diane, which yeah. I, I think you do, um, yeah, she's amazing. She just she's one of those really magnetic people. And coming from brand management at a large company and working with consumer insights all the time, her idea for community space like immediately struck me. Like I knew exactly how people would use this product, and I knew exactly where it could go and what it could be. And so it, you know, it was one of those things where I was like, I I need to be at this company. I absolutely need to be at this company. And so. Um, it was kind of a no-brainer to, to go there, and I worked on a lot of, um, when I was first there, I was in client services, and I was working with a lot of big consumer brands, so it was sort of like I had walked in their shoes before. I knew what they needed to know um, from a consumer insight perspective, so it was a really good match, and it was such a crazy time there. It was really when Community Space took off. So it had been kind of going for a little while, but then when I got there, I think it was 2006, um, we just, it just started to hyper growth mode. We were growing double digits every month. We were bringing on clients faster than we could to get them up, up and running. And so it was, it was a total ride and it was so much fun. And all the people that worked there, it's such a great network of people that worked there that have all, some of them are still there and some of them have gone on to do really incredible things. And you know, Diane definitely is still a, a big mentor for me and someone I trust a ton and, and turn to a lot um, in my career. Yeah, and no, I mean, obviously the, the company was acquired, so it was yeah. a success and still exists today and yeah. you know, still running the company, which is cool. Yeah, it was, a, it was a great idea and they've continued to sort of elevate and iterate on the company to keep it relevant and um, it's, a, it's a fantastic place to work. And then from there, you, you, you kind of went in a different direction. I mean, still incredibly meaningful. So my text is such an important part of the fabric of the Boston ecosystem. Yeah. But uh, so, so what, what brought you into that type of role of heading up my text? Well, at Community Space, I started to do a lot of things, you know, going to events and, and working with startups in the community and just trying to get more involved in what was happening in Boston. 
Um, and I knew we, we had been working on the acquisition of community space um, for a little while at that point. And I knew that we were getting acquired by Omnicom. And I, I had this feeling that it was going to change a little um, working there because it was no longer this, you know, fun startup. It was a big company that was getting acquired by a big company. Um, so it seemed like a really good time, um, both um, for me personally to take on a leadership role of that size and, and of that impact, and also to, you know, to move on from my community space experience. Um, but it was, you know, and I'm sure you remember this, Keith, because this time in the Boston community was amazing. I'm trying to think if it was like 2011, 2000, yeah, it was about 2011 when I left. And um, this was the time when like Techstars Boston just got started and Mass Challenge just got started and mm -hmm. plans for the Innovation District and the Seaport were off and running. And, you know, Mayor Menino was, you know, proclaiming every day that every startup in the world needed to come and work in the Seaport. And um, it was that period of time where this group of people um, that I was a part of were like really coming together and really wanted to promote Boston and really wanted to um, build our brand in the world as the place where, you know, tech startups were doing really interesting and exciting things and build our brand. Um, so it was, it was just the perfect time to go to an organization like MyTex and sort of take what it had been doing and, and level it up to this place where it was an impactful um, player in the community and making a difference to growing our reputation as digital innovators and bringing together people who may not have had the opportunity to work together or collaborate and, and make something great. And so that's what we were doing a lot of. We were bringing together people who you know, may not have been in, in touch and, and you know, building companies and building initiatives together. And, um, and I worked with a ton of our, our young startups at the time um, doing that. And I just, I loved it. We lived in Mass Challenge for three years while I was running my tech. So we like moved in and lived on the floor of, of Mass Challenge and helped all those companies um, with their marketing and digital innovation challenges. And um, just, it was just an incredible board of directors I had there. I mean, these were like, a who's who of Boston Tech was my board. You know, it was Jeff Busking and Naraj Shah and Scott Savitz and Emily Green and all these people who were making stuff happen and, and we were just really united in this cause. And, and you, uh, you and your team launched like this major conference, Future M, which was yeah. just a whole like new, like, I mean, all of a sudden, like you said, there was this resurgence in Boston of all this activity and Future M was one of them. Yeah, yeah. So Future M was like a conference not to miss named by Forbes magazine. And mm -hmm. we built it into something pretty big. Um, in its origination, it was actually connected to HubSpot and Inbound. And then Inbound became this massive thing and, and Future M um, became this very Boston-centric thing. Um, so they kind of split apart, but at the beginning they were very much connected. And um, Futurem was fantastic because it really did bring together the whole community um, in an exciting conference. And the way it was structured was people would um, put in proposals for sessions. So we weren't really coming up with the sessions ourselves. So it really was this kind of crowdsourced conference that everybody wanted to be a part of. Um, and it got really big. And it was, it was a great contribution to, to community building here in Boston, I thought. 
I loved it. All right. It was a great conference. Very meaningful. And, you know, my text has always been like a strong component of the Boston ecosystem. So uh, it's still thriving today. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk about Babson. So uh, your current role is executive director of the Arthur Blank Center for Entrepreneurship. So what brought you to Babson and, and what does that role mean? Like, what do you do? Well, so I had always, as I, I said, been really, you know, loving working with startups and involved in the startup community in Boston. And after my text, I had gone to run a media agency for a year and a half. And the idea of going to the media agency was to help that agency bring in more startup, bring in more innovation and sort of, you know, bring in new ideas to some of the well-worn media strategies that had been overdone and really help our clients level up. And um, I really just missed being the person on the ground working with startups in their earliest stages. I missed being part of the Boston community because I was always traveling and always on the road. And so I knew it was time to kind of get back to my roots. And the, the Babson opportunity came up and it was like, my dream job. I mean, really. Um, I had always wanted to teach. I had always wanted to help people in a really impactful way. I love connecting people and, and helping them, you know, find answers to their problems. That's what I do for a job. So um, it, it was just, it was just one of those things where timing wise, it couldn't have been better. The, the person who had been running the blank center at the time um, retired. They were looking for a new leader and they wanted someone who was going to, you know, take all the good stuff that they had, what were already doing and make it even bigger and better and more connected. And, um, you know, at a time where Babson's been number one in entrepreneurship for 26 years, which is wow, unbelievable. Um, you know, we see all these other schools now um, starting entrepreneurship programs and having these phenomenal um, accelerators, incubators, and, and programs to help their startups. So we wanted to keep our edge, right? We want to be, we still want to be that leader who's developing unique programs and creative ideas to help our startups move forward. So for me, it was, again, almost like doing a startup because we were, we had all these really interesting ideas, but, you know, it was going to come down to execution. Could we pull off some of these new ideas? Could we pull off um, making this bigger and better? And having more impact than we had before. So. I, and like you said, like Babson has been known for entrepreneurship for such a long time, like way before it was like, you know, in vogue and, right. you know, you think you see entrepreneurship on ABC with Shark Tank. And so, which is amazing. And I'm so grateful that entrepreneurship is in the limelight, but like Babson's like, you know, the origination of that, you know, in an academic world. Yeah, it really is. They really pioneered the idea um, of entrepreneurship education. So people still ask, you know, like, you know, how do you teach entrepreneurship? And the fact is, is you can teach entrepreneurship because the way we think about it is entrepreneurship is a mindset. It's about a bias for action and having the ability to um, fail or learn really rapidly and take those learnings and do the next thing and the next thing. It's just this very iterative process. It's a process or a system like anything else. Um, and so here at Babson, it's not just about doing a startup. We're trying to teach people to be entrepreneurs in any context. If they want to go be an accountant, how do you be an entrepreneurial accountant? If you want to be a marketer, how do you be an entrepreneurial marketer? So while there's a, a great 
many students here that are doing startups, there's uh, the entire population of Babson is involved in being an entrepreneurial leader. Um, and that's really where our, our process for educating people about entrepreneurship really takes hold. And if you go through the alumni that have, I mean, there's like, tons of alumni right so you can only name so many certain names but you know the, like the arthur blank center for entrepreneurship is named after arthur blank the you know founder of the home depot and the owner of the atlanta falcons uh, a more you know recent alum is jamie Simonoff, the founder of ring that was acquired right. by amazon for a billion dollars so and then there's everything in between from gerber and lots of other amazing companies both undergraduate and uh mba students. yeah yeah we have um the bombas guys are babson alum the you know the sock company yeah i didn't oh that's a fun one yeah those they are all over my house they're all over my, they're doing great they're all over my house yeah. i have some my kids yeah. have them my wife <laughs> Um, you know, Bob Davis is a Babson alum. He's, yep. a, he's a phenomenal Babson alum. Um, trying to think of some of the other ones that, you know, are sort of on our wall of fame. Um, Idea, Fitness. Paint, Idea Paint was a Babson invention. Jambara was a Babson invention. Mm -hmm. um, so there's some really good ones, you know, particularly here in Boston, Seltra, the founders of Seltra are Babson alums. Okay. Um, they've done some really, really incredible work in the ad tech space. Um, Wanderu, also a Babson alum. Oh, yeah, that's Nina. right. She's a superstar. Um, so, yeah, I mean, incredibly entrepreneurial people come out of here and, and they do big things. Another one, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but Kevin Colleran is a Babson alum. Um, and he was one of the earliest people on the Facebook team. Sure. Yes. 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 Kevin's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Kevin's awesome. And so now he's a VC uh, yep. here in Boston and he, you know, his portfolio is some of the biggest startups you, you would know like Slack and blue bottle and uh, nest. And he's just done extremely well. And he's really passionate about Babson and, and the entrepreneurs that we create. I didn't know he was an alum. See, it's all these like connecting the dots that I just yeah. love. And, you know, yeah. we did our, like uh, two different slideshows on Venture Fizz that were profiling some of these well-known, uh, you know, entrepreneurs, both uh, undergraduate was the first one. Then we did the MBA students afterwards, which, yeah. you know, yeah, the, those were great. Those yeah. Were great. I mean, and, like so, Steven Spinelli, the co-founder of Jiffy Loop. <laughs> yeah. So he's our new president. Oh, that's right. um, of the college. So he was just named the new president of Babson and he'll take, um, hold of the reins here in uh, June. That's amazing. But he's already on campus, just stirring up trouble. He's been great. That is so awesome. So, as a student, like, what what are the different programs that uh, students have access to to uh, you know learn and hopefully build a company? Yeah. So, I mean, there are tons of classes. So we ha actually have fifty entrepreneurship professors who teach classes that you know, range from entrepreneurial marketing, entrepreneurial finance to, um, there's a class on crowdfunding, there's a class on um, prototyping. Um, so there's, there's pretty much any type of thing you could learn about startups that's a course. And then there's this whole other set of things that happen um, in our centers. We actually have five entrepreneurship centers here at Babson. So we have the Blank Center, which is what I lead. And that is about really teaching founder skills. So the students that want to be founders of startups, they come here, we have programs, competitions, resources, a seed fund, 
Um, things like our summer venture program, which is you know so so successful after ten years of pumping out hugely successful companies, um, great track record. Um, but then we also have a social um, social innovation entrepreneurship center that's really focused on you know how do you be entrepreneurial and make a social impact. We have um, our center for women's entrepreneurial leadership, and they really focus on building women entrepreneurs. Um, and gender acumen in the workplace. And then we have a foundry, which we just opened um, in the fall, which is a 14,000 square foot makerspace with all the equipment you can imagine to build hardware prototypes and laser cutters and sewing machines and um, you name it, it's in there. There's tons of equipment and there are people there, you know, all the time who will help you use that equipment to make prototypes or just to create or make, you know, just if you're just a maker and you want to make something, you head over to the foundry. Um, and now we also have the Institute for Family Entrepreneurship. So a huge proportion of Babson students come from family businesses, actually. So we have a lot of family business students. So we created a new center for entrepreneurship that's about, you know, how do you keep the spirit of entrepreneurship alive within a family context? Um, and passing that from generation to generation. And that's really taken off in a very short amount of time. Well, you talked about the uh, the summer program, which is, you know, incredibly successful. And David Chang was running that this past summer, yeah. right? Yeah, he ran, it he ran it for two years. Two years, okay, yeah. So he's... Uh, He's uh, coming up on our podcast uh, soon, so. Yeah, he, he did a great job, and it's, it's such a magical program. I don't know any other word to describe it. I mean, students clamor to get in there. It's very difficult to get in, very competitive, and they dedicate their whole summer to making traction, and um, we give them an enormous amount of support and resources to do that. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, I think a lot of it is just, the experience of being together. They, they all live together. They get free housing on campus. They all work together at work bar during the day. Um, and so they just create this, you know, it's sort of like when you go through something really, really hard and really challenging, when those people that you went through that with, they become so close to you because you experience these incredible highs and these incredible lows. And that's what happens in summer adventure. It's a, it's a ride for sure. Yeah, it sounds like an incredible bonding experience, like you said. <laughs> It is for all of us. I mean, there's so many tears at the end of it because we're so sad it's over and we're so proud of everything that they've accomplished. Now, what about, um, there's the, the Johnny and Alice L. Butler Venture Accelerator Program. So what are the details on that? So that is our launch pad. And so that is basically our school year accelerator. So that's for our students who want to work on their startups during the school year. And it basically does all of the same things that the summer venture program does, but it's stretched over, you know, the 13 weeks of a semester. Um, so they can get all the same types of resources like mentors and seed funding and programs and um, different types of workshops, really practical workshops that will help them work on their business. Um, and we have, you know, co-working space and um, office space for ventures that are already launched. And so it's a whole set of really great resources. So it's, it's the opportunity to support those founders who really want to work on their companies while they're also taking classes, while they're also in school. And then we also support alumni too. So if you're a Babson alum, you can continue to come back and the Launchpad will support you as you launch your startup. So are there any um, companies that have spawned out of the, the accelerator that you know, are still 
running today? Yeah, I mean, I've only been here for three years, so I know the companies that I've worked with a bunch. Um, but, you know, a bunch of the companies that we already talked about, um, you know, have had experience here at the Launchpad. But when since I've been here, you know, some of the ones that are around Boston that you, you hear about now are Unruly Studios. Um, Brianne Leeming, she's a phenomenal entrepreneur, and she created a, a STEM um, learning toy for um, kids to learn how to code while they're also playing, so they don't even realize it. So uh, Brianne spent a lot of time here. She went through our summer venture program, and she's off and running. Um, Gravity is another great one that started here um, recently. Um, they're using AI to help um, companies really in in advancement and development function raise money raise money better uh, using AI. Um, Botkeeper is another one that I think is just a terrific company. Enrico uh, Pomerino is a Babson alum. Botkeeper is doing phenomenal things, you know, revolutionizing bookkeeping using a human augmented AI. Um, so those are some good ones. I think, you know, um, there's more to come for sure. Every year there's one or two that come out of our summer programs um, that are, are really ready to go. Um, one was called Detrapel. I don't know if you've heard of Detrapel, but it's a, it's a nanotech coating that um, repels stains. Um, and he went on Shark Tank um, after our uh, summer not, program. When you Shark Tank, now I rang a bell, like, oh yes. I yeah. yeah, he was on Shark Tank after a summer program. And he was, at the time, he was only a sophomore. And he, um, he got an offer from every single shark. Phenomenal entrepreneur and, and stayed here to, kept going to class and is still building the business and doing extremely well. Um, and uh, another one that I love is Lula, um, which is a peer-to-peer -peer car sharing service for college students. Mm. They're now on a over 100 campuses and they launched as sophomores. That's amazing. <laughs> like, yeah. It really is amazing when you see what students are doing these days. And, you know, again, like Babs was so early on to entrepreneurship. It's not like yeah. you're just kind of figuring this out. And, um, you know, so, uh, you know, it just wasn't so prevalent on campus at other schools outside of Babson, like right. that's the originator. Um, right. I mean, we probably have 300 students every year who are working in the launch pad on their, on their companies. They're all at different stages. Um, but, you know, they're all students that really want to try their hand at being a founder, which is pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. Well, the thing that I, um, you know, you talk about Babson was your dream job, right? Uh, like the, this job that you do, it must be amazing just to see the, like a new crop of students come in, the ideas that they're coming up with that you're like, I'm sure one, some of them are totally like left field, like, whoa, what is that? And then some that are just like, I didn't think of it that way yet. Wow. That's like totally game changing. Yeah. Yeah. They can, they blow my mind fairly often, actually. Um, they just have really neat perspective. I think the other interesting part about Babson startups is they're in all kinds of industries. They're not just um, tech. They're not just food. They're not just fashion. They're not just consumer products. They're everywhere. I mean, I had a team come in today who built an IOT, a smart teapot, and you control the teapot through your phone. And uh, they won a big award at CES this year. And they started at Babson. So it's all kinds of companies. And I think that's what makes it interesting. And you know, because Babson's so international, I think you, we have the benefit of a real diversity of perspectives that help with that innovative mindset. 
So what are the, what do you give as far as advice to students or anyone you're talking to, not just students, but like when they're starting a business, what are like the top things that they should be thinking about? Well, there are three things that are really, in, to, to me, really the most important things that they should be thinking about, and then that's communication, feedback, and culture. So with communication, they need to literally learn how to talk about their companies in a, in a quick easy, concise, simple way that you engages people really fast. So we work on pitching a lot, whether it's the one minute pitch to the seven minute pitch. Our students come out of here and they know how to pitch their businesses. They are crisp. They are really compelling. They, they have an emotional hook. They've, they've nailed it. And I do think that today the pitch is your business plan. I mean, we don't have our students write business plans anymore. They're not writing these 20 page you know, tomes on how they're going to grow this thing. They're just doing it, right? They just go and they do it. Well, every business plan um, so, has the hockey stick growth, right? It just happens right. magically, doesn't it? Yeah, it's magical. <laughs> um, so what they do do, though, is they write a pitch deck. And the pitch deck kind of serves now, you know, the pitch deck is the new business plan. And so they are really, you know, focused on creating and constantly updating and iterating a great pitch deck and, and delivering that pitch um, to anyone and everyone who will listen to them, um, which leads me to my next point, which is about feedback. And, um, you know, there's sort of two sides of the feedback point. One is about um, really about um, where you have to get a ton of feedback on your idea. Um, one of the things that our students um, struggle with sometimes is just the idea of like getting out and talking to people about their idea and not just focusing, you know, being here on campus or just talking to people they know about their idea. But like, you know, if you have an idea for a new food product, go stand in the grocery store aisle for a day and talk to people about it and see if they really think it's important or, or interesting. You know, if you have um, a technology product, go build a, a really rough MVP and, and have, a, you know, 100 people play with it and tell you what they think of it, you know, whether they would pay for it or not. So the idea of, you know, going out and doing a ton of customer discovery is really, really important. But on the flip side is also, you know, taking that feedback in. And one of the things we talk about a lot with our students is the idea of coachability. Um, you know, being coachable is an important characteristic for an entrepreneur. And we really, you know, want them to internalize that and understand what that means. And then the third thing is culture. And I just, I truly believe that you have to start working on your culture from the start, from the very beginning. It really is important that you, um, find a way to connect to the values and the, the type of environment you want to grow your company in um, and make those very clear from the start because they can be this wonderful filter for all kinds of decisions that you might make. Um, so <laughs> uh, I think that, you know, sometimes people are like, oh, you know, I'll worry about that later when I'm bigger or, you know, but I really believe it's something that has to come from the very start. And uh, we do talk about that quite a lot. And, um, with our students and and I think it it helps them kind of crystallize in their minds and really start to visualize the kind of companies that they want to build. So you've also been a, an advisor to lots of companies, a lot of uh, startups in the Boston area. Yeah. So what's the the role of an advisor in a company and like how should someone think about, you know, selecting people to be part of their advisory board or whatever they call it? Yeah, I've done a lot of advising um, over my time and a lot of mentoring. And I think that it's really important for students um, or early stage entrepreneurs of any kind to have a board of advisors. Um, it doesn't have to be big, like, you know, two or three people that you feel like can really add value. And I think 
those people also change over time. So, you know, you kind of have to have this understanding at the beginning that someone who is an advisor for you at this stage of your company may not be the right advisor, you know, 18 months from now. Um, so you're always kind of, you know, making sure that you have the right advisors, but for me, being an advisor usually encompasses just a few things. One of them is like, can I introduce them to potential customers or people who would be customers for their products so they can learn more about what to build and how to build it? Um, so that's a lot of what I do is, you know, networking them, helping to network them in front of customers. Um, another thing I help them with a lot is really just starting to dig in deep about culture and what they want their companies to be like. Um, and, and what kind of values are they basing and beliefs are they basing their company on? So those are things where I think I can add value. Additionally, I'm, I'm a marketing expert. So I've been marketing products for a long time. I've done it in startups. I've done it in big companies. I have a lot of training in that area. So I do offer a lot of help to the companies that I advise about marketing. Um, either whether it's go to market for a new company or how to just really do a good job uh, targeting your, your customer, um, particularly online. So those are the things I work on the most. So going back to your comment earlier about the, um, you know, kind of the, the pitch, right? The one minute, you know, pitch or, and so, so how, how do you advise uh, students or entrepreneurs on how to craft that pitch? Cause that can be tricky. So like, how, how do you, whittle it down because you know sometimes it's a complex business that you gotta you know talk about in one minute yeah it, it it's a long process to kind of get to the place where it's funny to be short and simple is actually so much harder than to be wordy and long um so it is a long process but i have a framework that i like to use with my students it's called the 4-h framework and it's basically um what's your headline and you move from your headline to to a heart um, section of your pitch. So like, how do you sort of connect to the emotional side of why this business needs to exist? Then I move to the head part of your pitch, which is sort of the, the basic facts. How does it work? What is it? What's the business model? How are you going to get customers? And then you end on the hope, which is, you know, imagine a world where my product exists, what this world will be like. Imagine if, um, you know, we make this come to life. Um, all these things will be different. Um, in a good way. So headline, heart, hope, head, sorry, headline, heart, head, and hope. And so you kind of, um, you sort of craft a few, just a few sentences around each of those things. And if you string them together, you really have a, a really good pitch. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta get the emotional side of it too. Like I, I, Mike Troiano, he's always, you know, emphasizing, you know, you know, building a great brand, you gotta, you know, focus on the emotion. Yeah, I mean, what I find a lot of times when I hear people's pitch for the first time is that they're, they're either making it sound too small, like they're too focused on like what the product is doing right now, and not what it could be, um, and what's sort of the bigger vision and, and how they want to change the world. Um, and I think they also, um, almost always I can say, all right, how do we level up the emotion here? And, and almost always there's a place to go that's a little bit higher on the emotional scale that will make that pitch more compelling. So in the Boston tech scene, are there any companies that are on your radar? You know, I guess they could be Babson companies, but they don't have to be. Well, I mean, of course I love Botkeeper, not only because it's a Babson company, but I think it's really, it's a really good company. I also love HQO, also a Babson company. Um, I think 
that uh, Greg and Chase are awesome entrepreneurs and I think they're really, you know, after some searching around for the right business model, I think where they landed it, with HQO is really sound and interesting and I think that they have a, a, a really good thing going. Um, on the bigger side of things, I love Toast. I think Toast is a great company. I know a lot of people that work there and they love it. And um, they're just exploding. I mean, I think they're like 1,400 people now. So I don't even it's know insane. if they qualify they're for It's insane how quickly they're growing. It's amazing. It's awesome. Yeah. And um, I'm on the board of a company I'm really excited about. It's called Wevo, um, which is also a marketing tech company. Um, and they're growing and doing really well and working with some really big brands uh, to do some excellent work um, in using human augmented AI. and um, I find that company to be really, really fascinating and exciting. All great companies. Yeah. So what do you like to do outside of work? Well, I've got two teenage boys. Um, so they keep me pretty busy. They're both in high school. Um, I spend a lot of time on their activities and, and the stuff that they love to do, mostly sports, and <laughs> hockey and lacrosse. Um, I'm a hockey mom. Can you believe that? <laughs> that um, keeps you busy, no doubt. <laughs> My husband's an entrepreneur um, and he's built several companies. So we actually spend a lot of time, a lot of our time together working on his company. Um, that's kind of a hobby for us. Um, you can't, you really can't get away from it. I mean, you know, you're an entrepreneur. You, you, you just, it never doesn't shut off. Um, and so that's definitely something I love to do and we work on a lot. And, um, you know, my family and friends are really important to me. Spend a lot of time with family. Yeah. That's awesome. Those are my favorite things. All right. Well, Debbie, thanks so much for taking the time for sharing your background and all the things that you've accomplished and honestly, all the amazing things going on at Babson. Yeah. That, you know, we are running full speed. There's always something new happening here. It's an exciting time. Thank you for having me though. I had a blast talking with you about it. It was kind of a fun stroll down memory lane there for a little bit. That was fun, fun stories to hear. Well, <laughs> thanks again. All right. Thank you. Well, that's our show. I hope you found it useful and entertaining. If you did, please make sure you subscribe so you'll get future episodes. Also, please consider leaving us a five-star review and share this podcast with all of your friends and colleagues in the industry. It all really helps us out. Last but not least, don't forget to visit VentureFiz.com, the most trusted source for tech and startup jobs, news, and insights. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.